0: I have often found myself utterly alone in a crowded room. I have found myself deeply, profoundly lonely in a bed that I share with a woman that
1: I've been married to for a long time that I know loves me. Well, welcome to another episode of Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. Thank you for tuning in today. And today we have the honor of having Dr. John Deloney on the podcast. Dr. John Deloney recently came out with a new book called "Building a Non-Anxious Life," and so we're going to be talking a little bit about that book, his thoughts on anxiety. Um, he also has wrote um, several books called "Own Your Past, Change Your Future." He also wrote another book, "Redefining Anxiety." So it was a real honor to have Dr. John Deloney on the podcast. We had an awesome conversation, and I'm so excited. To share this with you on how to build a non-anxious life because we all have anxiety and we just need to learn how we how we turn that into building a non-anxious life so i hope you enjoy this podcast interview with dr john deloney well john thank you so much for being on the podcast happy to have you on and thank you for saying yes
0: of course of course man that's one of my core values say yes so i appreciate you inviting me man it's, it's awesome to see you
1: yeah, it's been great to to follow you on social media over the last few years. Uh, I love your content, love your podcast, and really love your latest book that you came out with, uh, Building a Non-Anxious Life.
0: Thanks, man. I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, so uh, to kind of start off the discussion, um, what was the heart behind this book and what really made you write uh, about this topic?
0: I <laughs> I wrote on this topic because my publisher said, this is the book you need to write next. And I, I didn't want to Cameron. I didn't, I wanted to write about, um, adult friendship or I wanted to write a marriage book or parenting book. And they said, um, I had written a quick read about anxiety a few years ago that had just sold out. I mean, it was just nuts and it was just 60 pages. And I kind of said what needed to say, and I was kind of tired of talking about anxiety and tired of talking about cultural yada, yada, yada. And, um, they said, no, this is the book people need. And, um, so reluctantly, I went to the computer and started writing and turns out, you know, a, a a big chunk of the way through the book, I realized, oh, you don't want to write this book because you're not living this. And so halfway through the book, I kind of started back over and it became a book, not me lecturing America on anxiety, but it became a book with me pulling up a seat at the bar saying, man, I got I got problems, too. And uh, we yeah. got to figure this thing out together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oftentimes I feel like. Now, this is a, a topic that people are more comfortable talking about. And I think in some sort of fashion, everyone has some sort of anxiety in their life. Even this is something that um, I've come to realize over the last probably decade, probably even when I, it is just this this constant thing that comes up, you know, even just a little thought can make you anxious and um, even you know, it could be a little snippet, it, your anxiety starts going, your heart rate increases, you start getting red or you start getting warm. Um, in your book, um, I want to dive into a little bit of your book. Um, you you map out daily choices in your book. Can you just name a few, um, which ones kind of stand out for you uh, when we're talking about this topic, anxiety?
0: Yeah, I think backing out just real quick, I, I think it's important to kind of map it out. The premise of the book is that is asking a scary question. What if your anxiety is right? And we approach anxiety. We approach ADHD, OCD. We approach all these things as though we're broken. We got to fix it. And what if we flipped that around? You mentioned it. If you dump in burnout, if you dump in chronic stress and you dump in clinical anxiety, you dump in all of these, these what I would call um, uh, daily... Daily overstressors, if you will. that's I'm just kind of making that up on the fly. If you yeah. dump all that into a bucket, yeah, a massive amount of our culture is dealing with that on a daily basis individually, right and our, our our institutions are feeling it too. So what if we ask ourselves not how do we fix this but what if it's right? What do we have to do so that the what's right? the gas gauge on our car is actually telling us you're out of gas. Um, yeah. you don't you don't take the light bulb out, you put gas in the car. So what would that look like? And so I'd try to distill down all the neuroscience, all the physiology, all of the conversations, all the counseling stuff into what's a path I would give somebody that never reads books, that um, maybe can't afford counseling, or maybe has been in psychotherapy for 15 years, right? What? what How do I give somebody a roadmap? And so when you ask me what's the most important, I distilled it down into six choices. Nobody chooses anxiety, but we do um, – have things in our life that we either are forced into or we allow into we choose and um that our body sounds the alarms trying to take care of us so what are those things and for me the 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 parts that i struggle with are choosing reality or choosing connection and choosing belief those are the three that i personally struggle with the most um if you said choose health or healing and you told me to go to the gym or go get a blood test. Well, that's awesome. I love doing that kind of stuff. I've, I, I've worked out my whole life. I feel good when I do that. I like digging into my blood work. I, so that stuff's easy. Mindfulness. I've been practicing that for almost two decades. Like the, I like that kind of stuff. So most of these choices, a couple of them are going to be easy. A couple of them are going to be like, wow, that's tough. And a couple of them are going to feel impossible. And so for me, the, 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 the toughest ones are choosing reality and not not defaulting to some story or some fantasy that I want to be true or some numbing device, Um, choosing connection. I tend to turtle up and isolate myself instead of when things get hard, instead of reaching out to other people. And belief, this idea that my body was never intended to hold up the universe. And only this last little bitty sliver of human history have we been arrogant enough to say, Oh, there's no such thing as anything else out there. It's just a scientific method that we need to worship, and if it's not in a double uh, blind randomized control study doesn't exist, um, you should just self-actualize. That's that's just – that's right now, right? And so um, those three are the toughest for me, and um, I think everybody who reads the book has their own um, – in fact, we have an anxiety quiz I put up um, that you can Google John Deloney anxiety test, and it will tell you. Here's the ones that are going to be easy for you, and here's the ones that you're probably struggling with.
1: Yeah. And for those listening, I'll drop the link and the podcast description on whichever platform I'm listening on. So yeah, you thanks can, for that. Uh, take that, take that quiz. Um, John, I, I like to hear, I know I've heard this on your podcast. I've seen this on social media, but I like you to share to our listeners a little bit about your story and, um, how, uh, your experience has been with anxiety and, and the root of it. I think in a
0: nutshell, um, if I was to label what's, what's, you know, just what I would call superficial privilege, I'm a big, tall guy. I grew up in Texas, I'm a white male. My parents are, are been married 50 plus years. Um, I grew up in a, in a Christian faith home in, in a, in a Christian faith like part of the world. Right. Um, we never missed a meal. Um, money was very, very, very tight growing up, but I never missed a meal. Right, So I have all of the things that would check all the boxes. I also had parents – like not going to college was not a discussion at my house. It wasn't a conversation you were going to have. It was where you were going to go or where you weren't going to go. It never occurred anyway. So even education was, was so revered. So if I look at all of the traditional um, check one, check two, check three, check four, and on down the list, That should end up with perfect life, everything good. And so I remember um, having a great job and my wife having a great job. And we had finally, after four years of, of struggling with infertility, three to four years, we had a healthy kid. And um, I not only have, do I have a great job, but I'm on the cusp of another promotion. And also I'm a professor at the same time. I'm an associate dean. All these things are great. And I'm working also. Part of my job was running multi million dollar budgets and dealing with lots of personnel issues across multiple departments on a college campus. But also, I was um, associate dean. That meant I was in hospitals three or four nights a week with students who had been intoxicated or may have been sexually assaulted or maybe in car wrecks or whatever was going on. And eventually, my body said, I quit. I'm out. And I was very healthy. I worked out all the time. All all the things that, I, that were supposed to be um, the path to the perfect life. And so I remember reverse engineering this. Well, if I go back four years before, I'd stop sleeping. So I had been taking hypnotics at night to just knock myself unconscious. Um, before that, I didn't have language to talk to my wife. So we kind of created... Our own universe is inside of our own marriage, and we are great roommates and pretty good business partners for running our household. But um, I didn't know how to say I was sorry. I didn't know how to say, hey, I need this. What do you need? I didn't know how to do this. I didn't have tools for that. i never seen it done. Mm -hmm. And so um, ultimately, I built a very, very anxious life. And I remember uh, most of my job was spent working with those in the margins and those who'd lost everything. And I remember thinking, oh, this hits everybody. This hits everybody. And when I was working with college students, sometimes their parents that had checking accounts that I could never fathom, they were so huge, would call me and say, hey, you really helped my kid. Do you mind? you have an hour? I could talk to you. And so long story short, I recognized after being buried by my own anxiety, this is coming for all of us. This has to do with our bodies trying to take care of us in a fight or flight, a stress response. And this is before I knew about Stephen Porges work before we knew about Besser Vandal Kolk's work. I, before I knew that stuff was commonplace, it was becoming very clear to me. We got a problem. We're, we're creating a world that our bodies were not designed to live in. And it's happening very, very fast. And so, um, I realized that anxiety is not the problem, Whoa. whether you're rich or poor, whether you are on the margins or you are square in the middle of the bell curve, whatever is going on in your life. um, your body's job is to keep you safe and keep you alive, and we've created a world where it doesn't know how to do that anymore. And so we are all uh, reckoning with that new world we've created.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I want to take a deeper dive. in In your opinion, in the work that you've done uh, with this book and 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 all the research that you've done in anxiety, what do you feel like uh, is a root of anxiety, and 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 how how what's the source of it?
0: I mean, ultimately, your body has a threat detection system that goes 24-7, 365. That's its job, is to keep you safe. Its job is not to make you happy. Its job is not to um, um, give you a 3,000-square-foot house and a new promotion and a new car. It's not its job. The job is to mate and not die, right? Keep going. And so when it recognizes a threat in your environment, in the in the world you've created, or – the world you've been thrown into because you're on the margins of whatever society you've you've been dropped into um then it will sound the alarms that's his job that's his job and so i think if i was to pare it down i think we've created the loneliest generation in human history we've outsourced all human interaction to a digital device and our bodies for millennia were yeah. very attuned to body language and eye crinkles and gestures and tiny little impres- in almost imperceptible movements in in our mouth corners of our mouths and our necks and our posture all that's gone you just send emojis and text messages now and so our bodies are screaming we don't know we don't know we don't know what's going on what's going on what's going on um we've created the loneliest generation in human history and at the same time we've handed each other these um these madness boxes these madness devices these cell phones that allow us to bypass what would have been a small tribal sense of right and wrong and up and down and safety or not safe and has turned us into a global click machine where we know every tragedy tragedy in every corner of the planet all at the same time and our bodies were not designed to absorb that much less respond um responsibly to that and so it just you see the system overloading and it's smoking everywhere and um we're blaming the we're blaming the machine Instead of blaming, we're blaming the car, the Toyota yeah. Camry for not driving well and we drove it into the ocean, right? And we're trying to mm-hmm. drive it on the bottom of the ocean. We're mad at the car for not riding. But it's never designed for that, right? So that's, I, I think the the constant barrage of contact and at the same time, the loneliest generation in human history. I think those two things are really tough. And then there's several other peripheral things, but um, that's where I would start.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, what, what would you say So are some of the, um, I would say maybe the habits or things that uh, individuals should take a look at when striving towards living a more non-anxious life? What do you think are some of the shifts that that people need to make?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's starting with those six steps, right? Yeah. It's um, you can lie to yourself. You can tell yourself a story that, no, my marriage is great. Your body knows. Your body knows um it's very rare i took a call on my show today um and it's a rare that i get a call like this where somebody has um uh been married for 20 years and their partner's been cheating on them for a long long time and they had zero idea that takes a very pathological person to deceive their marriage partner in that way um but often when i ask that question did you have a sense that something was wrong they go yeah i knew there was some distance somewhere i didn't i didn't know it was this but yeah and so as Vanderkolk Kolk says, the body keeps the score. Um, you got to own reality. Like what's the state of your marriage? What's the state of your finances? What's the state of your job? Are you about to lose your job? What's the state of your relationship with your kids? Do you have any friends? And then connection and then health and healing, sleep, um, exercise. What are you feeding yourself? You, you, you can't have a great marriage. You just can't if you feel bad all the time, if you're in pain all the time. If your digestion is messed up all the time, it's very hard to be connected to somebody. Um, your faith. I mean, all those things play into it. Um, and so I would start with those six steps and go from there.
1: Yeah, one one of the things you, you mentioned earlier, John, is um, we t- today we are in a very lonely generation. Uh, more people are lonely than ever. And I've heard this many pastors out there talking about this and, and many people are starting to talk about this is um, how important would you say being around people or being in a solid community is to to live in that, uh, moving towards that non-anxious life?
0: Um, I think one, I would say having connected relationships is Mm -hmm. number one, your body would be failing you if it recognized you were lonely and let you sleep all night your body would be absolutely letting you down. It would not be doing its job if it let you have a deep, connected, intimate relationship with your wife or your husband um, if you don't have any friends, if you don't have any connection. Because it's not time for sex. If you're lo- if you're alone, you're about to die. It's not time for um, rest and, and sleep if you're the only one responsible for keeping you uh, 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 um, safe. That's why if your body's, if you're lonely, You'll find yourself falling asleep at six o'clock on the couch right after you get home from work. You'll wake up at nine. You'll be wide awake till about midnight. You'll fall asleep again. Wake up at two to three. That's your body trying to dip in, get some sleep and get back to alert state. And what do we do? We get mad at our bodies, right? It's not our body's sake. Um, So I think it's everything, but you, you brought up an interesting point that I think it's important to double click on. Um, being around people does not, mean you have good related connected relationships um i have often found myself utterly alone in a crowded room i have found myself deeply profoundly lonely in a bed that i share with a woman that i've been married to for a long time that i know loves me and so you can be surrounded by people all the time pastors especially are dying across the country from loneliness they have no one to talk to, and when they say something to their church community, they get two um, elders, two of their quote-unquote bosses that they're allowed to talk to. Who's going to go talk to their boss about what they're going through, right? And they're like, we're just going to pray over it. Well, I can't because if we pray over it and I say the wrong thing, you might fire me, right? So yeah. what do we do? We say nothing. We bury secrets, right? And secrets will kill you. And um, uh, pilots can't because if they say something to the wrong person, they, they, they'll, they'll ground you. Police officers can't because if they say the wrong thing, they'll get put at a desk, right? So we've created these professions that are designed to go help other people. And we've said, hey, if you are struggling, we're going to take you out of your job. Mm-hmm. Man, this is what I put—I was put on earth to do. So the incentive is to be quiet. And so until some of those incentive structures change, it's just going to be that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the first step is really acknowledging that you have anxiety in your life, but also being comfortable talking about it. That's another step. Because you're right, in, we might have um, a community around us or friends around us, but you still feel lonely because you're not really able to dive deeper and share you know, what's really going on um, within you. For example, like talking about anxiety, what you're going through on a day-to-day, um, it makes it better to talk about that with someone. But, you know, in some cultures, like, for, for example, for me, of being of Indian descent, that's really uncalled for. It's, it's a topic that's kind of shied away from.
0: There you go. I like – there's, a, there's a, a famous psychiatrist named William Glasser who created choice theory and uh, was really a, a, an important cornerstone for me in my academic training. But he mentions um, when he would work with, client, with patients, and I loved what he would do. He would not let his patients say, I'm depressed or I'm anxious. They weren't allowed to say that. They had to say, I'm depressing. I'm anxiety. I'm back aching. I'm head aching. And what he wanted them to do was to begin to take ownership of how their bodies were trying to take care of them. Not as though they were experiencing this thing, like the flu. I've got the flu. I've got depression, right? Those are not the same thing. My body's depressing right now. And I want to know, why is it feeling the need to take care of me right now by withdrawing and, and pulling the shades down over my life? Well, it's because these relationships are out of whack. I thought this job was going to be different. I thought I was going to feel different. I had these goals. I have X and Y and Z. Whatever the thing is, I'm in a I'm being traumatized. I'm in a marginalized population. Whatever the thing is, your body's often doing its job. The problem is if you let your job body do its job long enough, the circuits get really wonky, right? Um I ignored my anxiety for so long and ADHD and OCD, whatever you want to throw out there. I ignored it for so long. Um, the sensors on the alarms got bad, right? And then it would ring all the time 24-7, 365. And I had to go see a medical professional and begin to unwind it a little bit and get some help. Um, but I think if you start to ask yourself, not I've got anxiety, but Whoo, my body is sounding the alarms. I need to sit down and take some inventory. You're a friend of mine. You're someone I love. You're someone I trust. Can we walk through this together? And yeah, let's do that, man. That's, that's where healing often begins and you can, you can really short circuit some of the longer term issues by just dealing with them up front.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, what role does the the mind play? Because I feel like that as a big player in terms of our anxiety, Oftentimes, um, it's a mindset. It's, um, maybe our thoughts, uh, maybe some things that have happened in the past. I really like your previous book. Uh, that one was, uh, really, really touching. Actually, I heard it on uh, Darren Johnson's podcast, the I dare you podcast that you're on. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was really good. Um, but how important is, uh, does our mind play when it comes to anxiety?
0: I mean, the brain constructs reality, right? So there is, um, there of course there is an exterior reality but um i mean the mind plays a very important role i think the challenge that i'm running up against now after doing this work after leaving the university 4 years ago and heading into just writing and having a show and and speaking and traveling all over the country i think mental health our community which of which i'm a part of i think our community has convinced itself and convinced other people that mental health is just getting all the right thoughts in the right order or getting the bad thoughts out and the good thoughts all there and getting the mindset right. And what we leave out a lot is the role of taking action, moving your body, doing something different. You can think about your mental health all day long. You can think about your marriage all day long. You can read another book and another book. So many people write to me and say, Hey, what book should I read for this? What book should I read for that? And often my response is either nothing or my response is just start working out. Just go to the gym, right? Just sit down and have a regular conversation. That's what I love. I it sounds it sounds bananas. You want to heal your marriage? Commit for one year to a weekly budget. Just do that. You know why? Because then you have to talk about um things that matter to you what are we putting on the calendar what are we going to spend money on that'll tell you who you are your calendar and your in your pocketbook right and then you have to negotiate values and then like i really want this yeah but we already have two of those i really want this and you keep coming back and you keep coming back and you keep coming back and you keep coming back, keep showing up what you're doing. You're taking action. You're not just reading another book about marriage and another book about marriage. And you're not just going to another marriage counselor, which is very, very important. Don't get me wrong, but you're not just having another cup of coffee to talk about your marriage. And let's talk about our marriage. Let's do something different. And so I think the mind obviously plays a critical thing, a critical role, but as, um, Andrew Huberman says, when he talks about better living through science still requires better living. And so I think the mind is important. The medicine is very, very important, but simply taking action is critically important too.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Taking action is the first step to making sure that you're um, really addressing your mental health and focusing on your own wellness. Because I feel like in today's society and culture, we're in this this hurried culture where you're just waking yes, up, yeah yeah you're waking up and you know you do your daily routine uh, go to work come back be with family and then go to bed and not even staying in tune with yourself and I've had this happen too where it, it was almost you know you're just going day to day to day and then you hit that burnout and you're like what happened and um how, so how important is it backing out a little bit is how is important to um take care of yourself, whether it's your mental health, your wellness, like how important is it is it to stay in tune on uh, on a day-to-day so that um you can really um live that you know a or strive for that non anxious life.
0: I mean it's it's A1 critical. You have to. And most of the time I hear people say I don't have time to go to counseling. I don't have time to go get blood work done. I don't have i to- I've said that. Um, I don't have time to I don't have time to deal with all this. Just, I'm just going to run to grab something to eat at the local, whatever. And I always want to say, like, you don't have time for what? Yeah. If you're a single mom working three jobs so y'all can eat, you're exactly right. You don't mm-hmm. have time. And that's what the church community is for. That's what your community, your neighborhood is for, to take care of those, those, those uh, single mothers. That's what the job, that's what it's for. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me, why, why, why wouldn't I have time? Well, I got, got I I spend 45 minutes a day on social media. There's time. I have a 45-minute commute cuz I wanted to live on this many acres out in the woods. And I made that choice. Uh-huh. Um, I choose to work a job that's 100% commission, and so any minute I'm not working, I feel like I'm, I I've got to be out th- all of those are choices that I make. Um, and so in Saturdays, well, I got to be out doing this and I don't want to I don't want to miss the, the It's a series of choices. And so if you're not choosing your health and you're not choosing to take care of your body, how many people do you know take better care of their cars than they do their bodies? Right. I don't get to either you make time or your body will force it on you. We used to tell people, um, <laughs> emotions, right? Like you can deal with this trauma or your body will deal with it and it will deal with it at a really inopportune moment at a time when you probably can't afford for it to happen. So you can choose to deal with your health on a regular basis and get to know your physiology and your blood work. You can begin to do that um, slowly over time. You can read things. You can learn things. You can listen to things. You can ask professionals, not the person trying to sell you essential oils, but you can read professional stuff. um, Or you can let a doctor tell you when you're recovering from your heart. You get to pick. You get to pick. And so, man, I'm I'm always going to going to double down on, take care of your body so you can show up in your marriage, so you can show up with your kids, so you can show up for your community, for your work, for God, whatever you're doing it for, you gotta take care of yourself, gotta take care of yourself.
1: Mm. I think also another element is, you know it's great to have community, great to have a good rhythm, uh, looking after your wellness, your mental health, but there's times when nothing works or it works and you just need to seek professional help and i think there is a barrier for people even taking that first step to say hey i need to get professional help so how like what what should people do if they feel stuck they like need to get professional help and they might not be as comfortable with it or because you know because people might think down upon them for getting help what's your your take on that
0: yeah i um it sounds strange um and i have to tip my hat to my parents for this I've lived by a life rule since I can remember, and that is always have a guy Hmm. like I will never, ever, ever research air conditioners. You know why? Because one of my best friends in the world, John King, is the CFO of a plumbing, air conditioning and heating company in Texas. (laughs) I'll never, ever research it. I'm going to text him. I need a new air conditioner. My house is this big. What should I get? He'll text me back. You know why? Because he's an expert. He does that every day. There's not one thing I can read where I'm going to learn more in some Yelp review or some top secret YouTube account that he's not going to tell me. And I love that guy. He loves me. He loves my kids. He loves my wife. He loves my family. I, I, I would rather – why in the world? One of my best friends in the world is an um, executive at a huge banking um, operation. Why in the world would I Google something about banks? I literally call him and say, hey, dude, is the Fed going to drop? And he goes, no, not this quarter. And I just move on with my day. Because if he doesn't know, what's Fox News going to tell me? What's MSNBC going to tell me, right? Real estate. I co-host the Ramsey Show with Dave Ramsey, who has hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. Why would I Google that? I'll just ask that guy. So I live my life that way. And so – um. I don't have any ego or pride in not knowing what oil to put in my car. My friend Michael Lewis knows that. I don't know anything about lawn stuff. My friend Kevin does because he runs a lawn care company. So I have no ego in that. In fact, I love having people in my life that I care about. My friend Cassie's a Bitcoin expert. I'll ask her. Why would I need it? So when it came when my body shut down, when yeah. it said I quit, I had no ego at all about calling somebody and saying, hey, I'm not okay. It scared me. I did have a lot of ego when my friend who happened to be a medical doctor said, you have to take medication. You got to regulate yourself. And I dude, I fought him and fought him. And he said some words that were powerful. He said, what you're doing is not working, is it? And I said, no. And he said, this is not forever. This is for a season, but you're not all right. And let's help the alarm systems get recalibrated. And he was right. And I didn't want him to be right. He was right. And so uh, I sat at my kitchen table and I felt like a failure of a husband Had a little two-year-old boy sleeping in the room next door. My wife was in the next room and and I was weeping and I took my medicine because somebody who knew infinitely more than I did about what was going on in my physiology said, this is the right move for you right now. And I trusted it. And thank God I did. Right. I'm still here. And, um, and so, I don't have an ego in that, and so what I would challenge people is to stop giving all these external voices in your life a vote because they don't have to put their head on your pillow. You do. They don't have to get before God every night and say, I'm tired of not being able to breathe every day because my chest is so wrapped up and tight. Um, They don't have to stare themselves in the shower or in the bathroom mirror. You do. So take ownership of your life and get the help and care that you need, period. When you start to take ownership of your life, you're gonna realize, oh, I need to start exercising. I need to call my friend. I need to read that book. I need to stop reading that book and get outside. Like you will begin ownership begins to beget ownership, which begins to beget ownership. Um, I need to get control of my finances, right? So all that stuff works together, but just at, at some point you got to say, what's this ego getting me? Other than sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, and let's call some people who know what they're doing and let's go get well awesome
1: well as we uh come to a close john you know this has been an awesome discussion um i do have a bit of a lightning round of just some fun questions all right bring it to a close um so the first question is dead or alive who would you like to have lunch with
0: oh man um c.s
1: lewis awesome that's a good one uh what is the next thing on your bucket list
0: this is going to sound so well I don't really live life with a bucket list. I've actually adopted the reverse, things I don't want to do. But um my dad is in his 70s. I have a little brother um who's um he's not so little. He's an old old man. Um and my son and I'm a big hunter and I've always wanted to do a four a three generation um, family get together. And so this next week I'm heading to Texas and I've arranged it with a ranch and we're going to go have some fun just as a gang. And I've always wanted to do that. And so that's something I'm really looking forward to doing spending some time with my family in the outdoors, be freezing cold and I can't wait.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, how do you consume content and like, what are you reading today?
0: I am reading – I bought every single book that Amazon has about marriage. That's my next couple of years I want to spend going down and the rabbit hole and how we got to this modern picture of marriage and what's the roots. And it's – already I can tell you it's not what we think it is. And um, we have a pretty distorted modern-day picture of marriage. Um, So I'm reading everything I can about that. I've picked up Dave Grohl's book, Storytellers – or The Storyteller, and that's been fun so far. Um, I'm trying to think. I just finished Nassem Taleb's uh Skin in the Game, which was probably the best book I read in 2023. Um and content. I listen to very, very few podcasts, just a couple. Um I listen to Dr. Peter Attias, um, just because he's a nerd of all nerds. He's the smartest guy I've ever, ever experienced. And um I do listen to Andy Huberman's and um uh and I probably spend way too much time on Instagram than I should, but I, it just, it's a Xanax for me. And so it's not healthy in 2024. I'm going to see some pretty drastic changes, but um, I don't listen to a lot of stuff. I prefer to have conversations with people
1: when I can. So Mm -hmm. that's great. And final question, what's the best words of advice or words of wisdom that you've received so far? Oh,
0: man, if you ask me that 10 days in a row, I'd probably give you a different answer 10 days in a row. Um, I'll give you two, one from, um, Professor Dr. Uh, Randy Harris, who told me uh, when people were coming to him, he was a – he's a monk and a bioethics professor, really one of the people who changed my life. Um, he said, uh, I don't have a lot of answers to, to to challenges people are struggling with. This is during the economic collapse in 08 mm-hmm. 09, and he said, I just want people to be a little more peaceful after they are in my presence than before they got here. And I remember thinking, I would love that. I don't know how to do that, and that became something I I sought out. And then probably um, another one would be from a great mentor and friend, Dr. Richard Beck, who was a psychology professor. Who um, something had happened to one of my students that I'd been trying to work with, and I just it was the the university I believe did not take care of the student as they ha- should have. And he told me something profound. He said. Um, As somebody who you consider a mentor, I want you to know you're free to go. You can quit your job and go get a job somewhere else. But I want you to never forget that when you walk out that door, students like this young person will still be here. And if everybody leaves, who's here to love them? And I remember thinking, you're the worst, right? You're the worst. (laughs) And so often the most... um, Often the least bold and brave choice is to cut and run. Oh. Often the more bold, courageous choice is to stand in the middle of a messy, messy community or a church or a job and say, I'm going to be part of the healing and I'm going to get burned alive trying, but I'm not going to run. I'm going to stand in the middle of this. Now, that might cost you everything, but, um, and your friends might say, I can't believe you work there. Do you know they say this and they do this? Yeah. But if I leave, they're still here and I'm going to I'm gonna be a part of the healing here. And so um, those are two important pieces of wisdom that I've never forgot. Sometimes staying is the braver choice and um, having the right answers isn't always the solution. Sometimes it's just being a gentle, non-anxious presence that lets people breathe a little bit easier.
1: Mm, that's so good. Well, I like how we ended this one. Um, so definitely for those listening, get your copy, Building a Not Anxious Life. Um, All all those listening, I dropped all the links for you to connect with John. Uh, He has an awesome podcast. Um, Also, I'll drop the links for you can get his book and the quiz and uh, definitely give him a follow. John, thank you again for being on the podcast. I learned so much from this conversation. I went completely off the script, which was great. And so thank you. Well, thanks, Cameron. I really appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Wow. Thank you so much for tuning in to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast interview with Dr. John Deloney and that you learned a lot about anxiety and how to truly build a non-anxious life. Um, You can go click the link in the podcast description if you want to get grab a copy of uh, his book and also definitely check out some of his previous books as well. Those are some awesome reads there. And if this is your first time uh, listening in to the podcast, thank you again for tuning in and uh, happy to have you listening. And hopefully this added value to you and your journey of life wherever you're at and that you're able to have some awesome takeaways from this interview. Uh, if you, uh, this is your first time, feel free to subscribe on whichever platform you are listening on so that you'll get a notice when the next episode goes live. Uh, episodes release every Tuesday, and uh, also these episodes are posted on YouTube as well. Uh, you can go to my website, Cameronsing.com Cameronsing.com and you can go find my YouTube channel on there as well. And uh, for those listening, if you haven't gotten my uh, book yet, my, the latest copy of Navigation and Discovery, A Path of Navigating and Discovering, Through your journey of faith, it's a little bit of my story navigating through high school and college, and so I hope you can get your copy if you haven't already, in whatever format you would like. Uh, It's it's on ebook. uh, There's digital copy. um, There's also it's on Audible, and also a print copy. And uh, if this book is not for you, or you really like the book, and you feel like there's someone in mind that would um, like that that would need to hear this message. Uh, feel free to grab a copy for them or there's a group of people that you need. Also, there's an accompanied study guide. Uh, If you want to do this in a group study, whether it be just people that you know, uh, uh, some involvements that you're in, um, I really hope that you are able to um, not only get this message into your hands, but also help spread it as well. So get your copy today in whatever format, CameronSing.com, and that's Cameron Singh with H at the end dot com and the link is in the podcast description as well thank you again so much for tuning in and appreciate all your support feel free to give a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening on and uh, we will catch you on the next episode